So who is John Little John? Well, there's two names I sort of go by. Uh, there's many names I've been called, but uh, my actual name is John Henry Little John. That is my name. Um, but Little John is also my nickname. So there's times that people know me for years and don't know that my real name is actually John Little John until they see it written down on a piece of paper. Uh, and then they usually laugh or just look bewildered. Like, how did somebody do that to you? Um, so I'll, I'll, maybe I'll start there. How did I end up being John Henry Little John? Uh, well, my dad's name is John Henry, uh, but his last name is not Little John. His last name is Canty. And my mom's name is Ramona. Her maiden name is Little John. My parents were not married when I was born. I was born in Lansing, Michigan, uh, in uh, a very close affinity to Lansing. I, I love that city. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, but I was born in Lansing, Michigan, and took my dad's first two names, John Henry, and my mom's last name, Little John. So just sort of by default, I ended up being... John Henry Little John. But if you look me up online or even with this podcast, you'll see John Adidam Little John. And the Adidam stands for All Day I Dream About Music. Uh, and that's sort of my artist name. And at one point, like most hip-hop artists, I tried to just go by that name. And I did for a minute. And so in Texas, when I lived in Texas, there's a whole group of people who pretty much just call me Adidam. But, you know, as life goes on, um, all the different parts of who I am have become, uh, began to merge together. And so we end up with John, Adidam, Little John. The all day I dream about music is actually a thing for me. As long as I can remember, I've always heard music. Actually, even right now, I'm hearing music. Uh, I'm listening in my head to Abide With Me by uh, Urban Doxology. is playing in my head as I'm doing this interview. And if you ever see me, and if you ever were to ask me what music is playing in your head, I would have to take a second and stop and listen and then uh, would tell you what it is. Unless it's some sort of like really vile, uh, <laughs> super vulgar hip hop, because I, I used to listen to a lot of that. I still I still love hip hop, but I used to listen to some stuff back in the day. And those lyrics, unfortunately, roll through my head too frequently. Um, but when I was a little kid, I used to hum all day. And to the point where someone, people thought there was something wrong with me because I used to sit and, and hum. Um, I always liked learning and school and, you know, writing and drawing and just an, an artist. I was a young artist. Um, so I was the really unpopular kid on the playground where we're playing a game. And then I'm asking kids, you know, they're saying like, you know, which superhero are you? And I'm like, what's your favorite subject in school? So you're like, you know, John is so square. I was also very mature for my age. I, I just thought about things that a lot of people didn't um, think someone my age would think about. Um, and so I found, like, uh, you know, growing up that that some older men, you know, um, that were around me, you know, would, would treat me very harshly. Uh, and and I was used to be very confused sometimes about that. And my mom, I remember her explaining to me that sometimes – there's some guys who aren't very mature and they see something in a child that they don't see in themselves and they don't know how to respond to that. But I also had uh, four uncles that I grew up with who, like, you know, they they, they loved me and, and, and you know, helped take care of me. And, uh, you know, and so I had, had a lot of positive guys around me as well. My mom, um, 
had other kids by other people as well. So I have an older sister and a younger brother. And then at one point in my life, my mom got uh, married to my younger brother's father, who also had three kids. So we were like the Brady Bunch. So she had three and then he had three and we kind of came together when I was about 10 years old. So all this to say, I grew up around a lot of family, a lot of kids. I was sort of in the middle, but the the older, um, on the older side. Um, and in that, you know, not being the oldest child with all the, the eyes on you and the youngest child, you know, uh, who also has all the eyes on you, kind of being stuck in the middle worked for me in the sense that I was able to develop things that were different than everybody else because I sort of was off the radar a little bit. Uh, and so one of those things being music. When I was in grade six, uh, I had an opportunity to play an instrument. And I literally would hum all day. Like, don't forget this. Like, from the beginning till grade six, I'm humming all the time. And so I, uh, we were living in Lansing, Michigan. I was going to an inner city school, Pattengill Middle School, which is right behind the hospital that I was born in. And uh, I'd signed up for an instrument. I wanted to play the saxophone. And I signed up for orchestra, not knowing that saxophones aren't in orchestras, <laughs> mostly. And so I signed up. I walked in the, the, the room on the first day, and there was uh, all these string instruments. And I was going, well, you know, what happened? But I was stuck in the class, and so um, I wanted to play the bass. The bass was taken. There was like maybe one or two, and, and somebody was already playing it. And then I went to... Uh, the cello, which was the second biggest, they were already spoken for. I didn't know what a viola was, and so I ended up on the violin uh, by default. But I really didn't care. Like I, I was so happy to have an instrument, and I still walk around singing and all that. But literally, when I started playing the violin, I stopped humming all day because I finally had a way to sort of express that music that was inside. And I played um, everywhere. Like when I got my violin from the school I played walking home from school like literally uh I played on the toilet like <laughs> I played everywhere like I was just so excited to have a way to make music um when I look back at my childhood and this journey with music and I can say that maybe you know being a middle child had something to do with it but it was the hand of God um and part of I guess what what I'll be telling here and what Josh told last week was the story of me and God and why it is that I roll so hard with God today. Um, because he put these things into me. Like it seemed like it was like an accident how I ended up on the violin. But uh, through my life, I've, I've really can see that if I played any other instrument, it wouldn't have carried me to where the violin has carried me. And it was God who has used this instrument to take me out of a whole life that was set out for me that was not good into a life that is much better than I would have imagined. And it's the life that he's wanted me to have. And he used the violin and wrote that into my soul music, you know, to carry me from there. Now, God growing up was uh, kind of knew about him. You know, my mom uh, was always different than those around her you know, didn't drink or smoke or, you know, swear at us or, um, so she always lived sort of a lifestyle that was different than what we saw around us, but we didn't go to church regularly. Um, it wasn't until I was about 10 years old that we went to a church and I was in a children's church 
and they gave the gospel message. And it just made sense. I had never heard it before. So it wasn't like I had all this experience. And they talked about the fact that Jesus died um, so that I could have a connection with God, essentially. This the, the man was in a fallen state. And I forget how they said it. They said it in a way that kids could get, you know. And and uh, But I just got this idea that, whoa, like I can be connected to God directly. Like it just made sense. And and he said, every head bowed, every eyes, every eye closed, and I had my, you know, eyes closed, and then I raised my hand, and uh, it took me into a back room. They prayed with me for, you know, Jesus to come into my life, and um, and then I remember a lady uh, saying, "Would you like to, to receive the gift of tongues?" And I didn't know what that was. I asked her, "What is it?" She said, "It's it's a language of the Holy Spirit," and. Uh, it's uh, like a godly language. And I was like, that sounds sweet. So I put my hands up and she started speaking in tongues. She put her hands on me and I just started speaking in tongues. And it was a thing. Like it wasn't, I wasn't making up Babel language. It was like, like language is coming to me and I was speaking in tongues. Um, and so that was like, that was my salvation experience. You know, and it's interesting because I know some of the stuff I'm saying, some people might find controversial, but it's not for me because it just is. It just was the story. I can't rewrite it. I can't change it. It's what happened. And I felt different. And I went upstairs. uh, The children's church was downstairs. And I went upstairs to meet my mom after church. And I said, Mom, you know, I received Jesus today in my heart. And she was crying. And she said, me too. And so me and my mom got saved. uh, uh, We're born again on the same day. And uh, our family changed. Like my mom, you know, she never looked back. Um, we went into that direction. And so our house became a godly household. And it was probably a bit much at first. Like, I mean, you know, you know uh, um, but I also get it when you want to change your life. Sometimes you have to really go away from other things. So, you know, at first it was probably, you know, we really like were in church like all the time. And, you know, um, certain things weren't allowed in the house. And some of those things were never allowed to come back. But, it, uh, I remember my mom telling us that Santa Claus wasn't real, that the Easter Bunny was fake, and the Tooth Fairy were fake all on the same day because she was, like, not lying anymore. And we were a little bit devastated, like, whoa, like, you broke? <laughs> you just spilled it all, you know? Uh, but so she was a little crunk about that kind of stuff at first, you know? And and we were I was a big He-Man fan. Uh, and, you know, He-Man would say, like, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. And my mom would be like, no. Jesus has the power. Turn it off. So <laughs> that was, we were a little, it was a little, it was a little extra at first, but um, I carried that. You know, uh, I, I grew up in that sort of family. I carried it. I, I, I struggled a bit in middle school, and, and we didn't have a lot of money. Um, but I, I was sort of raised, you know, in a sense for, for a few years in a Christian household. Had a connection somewhat myself, you know, from my own salvation experience, you know, having done it myself. But I... Also, really, really wanted to fit in with everybody around me and my cousins and and some of my friends who seemed like a lot cooler than me. And so I started doing some stuff, you know, um, just to fit in. I could never quite fit in. And that's where I also see the hand of God. Um, I can see that, like, uh, I tried so hard to fit in sometimes and I always just stood out. And there was no other reason. Like, I was in the same family, but God just never quite allowed me to because I was meant to go on to other things. Um, jumping forward, I, uh, when I was about 18 years old, I uh, 
got baptized. And that was sort of another step. I just kept saying that I was going to be a better Christian next year. And at some point, the question came out, you know, from God to me, um, when, like, if not now, when you're always going to put it off. And I just kind of had that sense. So I got baptized when I was 18. And that was important because that was me making a decision to really um, say goodbye to the system of the world and follow God in my life going forward. Um, You know, this idea of being dead to the world and alive in God. Still struggled by this point. You know, I'd uh, gone through some abuse as a child and had developed a raging pornography addiction um, and and just didn't have any way to process that, to know, you know, what that, like how to develop a healthy sexuality, all those things. So there was definitely some serious brokenness going on during that time. And it took a lot of time to walk out of that, you know, uh, but, but that was where I can see the tide started to turn. Went through university, went to school for music. Um, once again, God used the violin to carry me into the next stages of life. Uh, you know, went to the University of Michigan and then graduated through there, started, you know, to sort of attend church, very spotty there. I just kind of feel the sense of guilt, like I should be going to church and would go for a while and stop and then go for a while. By the time I graduated, found a decent church um, and then graduated and moved to uh, Baltimore. And it was Baltimore where I felt like I actually grew up. Um, as a man and and uh, as a musician as well. It was sort of like that place that that it was the hardest struggles of my life, you know, uh, but but it was where I dug in the hardest on the violin. It was where I faced the, the biggest hardships. I was working five jobs and going to school full time, um, just working five jobs to pay for it, also needing to practice five hours a day. And I just felt pressed on every side. I was also feeling lonely uh, and Feeling like, you know, like there was just something broken that that just um, that I couldn't couldn't talk about, couldn't address, couldn't. People didn't see it uh, because I, I'm a happy person. I smile a lot. And behind that smile, there was some stuff that people just couldn't see. Um, eventually, maybe two years into grad school, um, I found a church and started going to that church. It was called Restoring Life International Church. Uh, it's now changed names, but I think it's Dream Dream Life Church, but it was a really great church in, in in outside of Baltimore, and that was the first time I was really like ex- like hearing somebody preach the word in a way that was very connected to my life. Like I just connect connected the two. Like I'm struggling in my life, and what this pastor is saying, Pastor Ken Robinson, I remember, uh, and and he means a lot to me because he really helped me to grow up. And so I started to just really make some changes. You know, I, I got a mentor. Um, started to be accountable to the lust issues I was having, which had gotten so out of control. Um, and and maybe on a future episode, I'll go more in depth with that stuff. But, you know, just talking about how I end up here today on this podcast. Um, in that church, there was true submission that finally happened. And, and all the pride and all those things and all the things I thought I knew and started to build up pride about being different from my family at some point in that journey, I just saw that, you know, no matter how great I think I am or how great people are telling me I am, my life is is really headed in a bad direction and quick and I can't do anything about it. And so, you know, I just had to release all the judgments I had on Christians. I had to release all the things that I thought I knew 
and just submit myself to God. And that was probably the biggest turning point. I can't say when it was. I just know that my violin teacher kept telling me that he felt like there was more in me and that I was holding back. And in my life, like I was holding back. And there was just a day where I started to just yell hallelujah in church like a crazy person. And luckily, I was surrounded by a bunch of other crazy people who were also yelling, uh, and I just joined in with them. And I remember like uh, something just changing, something breaking, and and feeling God alive in me in a in a deeper way than He had ever been. And from that point, you know, really just making a choice that I'm going to follow God wherever You lead. You know better than me. Uh, I tried doing my my way. And I tried my best, and it really just didn't work. So I'm going to try God's way. And I've struggled through it, but like uh, through going God's way, it's, it's sort of how I ended up here. I ended up meeting my wife um, by the voice of God, you know, heard a voice actually say, this is your wife, follow that voice. We got married, moved to Texas by the voice of God. Texas was a great place for us. It was the right place to be. would have never gone uh, except out of faith from Texas moved to Canada <laughs> uh, by the voice of God. Uh, the church that I go to now um, came to this church by the voice of God, you know, and, and connected with Josh by the hand of God. And I can just see it. I can see where after a while, after you follow God enough, I just saw that this works. Uh, and it's scary. And, you know, and, and I thank God for a wife who also, you know, follows the voice of God, and we do our best to hear that voice, and to whether it's through the Word of God and it's through prayer, whether it's through others, um, to be able to detect what God would want for us and to put energy towards that. And so, uh, you know, I know I jump forward a lot, but up to this day, you know, I'm now living in Canada. Uh, I'm making my living as a violinist. I play with a, a really great trio called Infinitus. You know, I, I'm able to use music to reach back to others uh, who are underprivileged and don't have the money to maybe let, you know, for music to play a role in their life that is played in mine. And so, you know, I run some outreach music camps. Uh, I teach private lessons. You know, I am a father of five great kids uh, who also teach me a lot <laughs> and uh, music minister and, and many other things. But it's been it's been uh, God and music and the violin and uh, and submission to God that have sort of carried me to being on this podcast today. And through all this, there has been a reel and a soundtrack that is played. John a couple of questions here and uh, just things that maybe I always liked the answer to or maybe some things that I never asked him before uh, I want an answer to. 
Well, we're gonna start. If, if any of you have 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 not checked out a little bit of kind of some of the images surrounding the podcast, then this might not make as much sense to you. But John, I gotta ask, what's with the hair, man? What's with, <laughs> what's with the hair? That's right. Yes. Okay. So those that don't know, I have long dreadlocks. Uh, they, it is mine. They are dreadlocks, and not braids and nothing like that. It's <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's a uh, it's connected to my marriage and my wife. So. One of the things that um, I was praying about when moving into marriage, and there was a question, you know, like uh, my wife had only experienced broken relationships, and so had I before we got married. And we've been married now for 12 years. Shout out to Paula Littlejohn, wifey. Uh, but the question was, okay, God, how can I show my wife that I'm here? I'm here to stay. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I have no intentions on straying or going anywhere. And um, I had dreadlocks before we got married. They were shorter. And God, uh, through prayer, felt God asking me to cut them off, like start from scratch. So I cut my hair bald. And and I also felt this, this thing of, uh, like, I won't take something from you that I won't give back to you. So, um, and this, like, with my hair. Uh, and I didn't really, I wasn't super attached to it at that time. And so through that prayer, jumping forward, that prayer about my wife and how can I show that I'm here to stay, um, it was that the years will tell. And I actually have a, there's a song on the album Violinistic um, that's called The Years Will Tell. And it's about this story to my wife. Like you, you can't say it. There's no words that you can tell somebody who's been broken sometimes. You can't just say, I'm not going to be that guy that you've seen before. You just have to not be it for a long time. So that's what that's what I felt like God was saying. To, and so I um, part of it was that grow your hair out. And I, I got the dreadlock started on the day of my wedding. And then, like, if you look at the pictures of our, you know, wedding, our marriage so far, like um, the birth of children and all these things, you can see my hair getting longer. And so... Um, for my wife, it's for her. It's a physical representation of uh, that the years will tell, that I'm here and it's solid. And so if someone asks me how long my hair is, I tell them it's 12 years long. Mm. Wow, there you <laughs> go. It's so sweet. Yeah. It's so romantic. Tears. It's It's really is. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I guess coming out of that, this can be... This can really be a humorous response. You can kind of look at it however you want. It could be a humorous question. But kind of coming out of that, you know, you did get married, obviously. Yes. And we know, I mean, as men, that women are a different species altogether. So that's already, (laughs) you know, you're already speaking different languages when you get married. But what I find also very interesting is that um, people from the outside looking in wouldn't notice it but the reality is you actually have a multicultural marriage yes. because your wife <laughs> yeah. is from Jamaica and my question is like what was the biggest adjustment to that Jamaican culture because there oh, had to be man. one right you never left, lived with a Jamaican before that that's right, right. yeah I did not I did not know when we got married that Jamaicans and African Americans were that different and this is the <laughs> even saying that that there could be somebody, they their whole family could have lived in the United States for three generations. They will not say they're African American. They say they're Jamaican. Uh, I think some of the the biggest change was food. Uh, you know, I like food. You see me, I'm a, I'm a bigger fella, and I like food. And African Americans, we got a certain cuisine that you know a lot of us like, and Jamaicans don't eat hardly any of that food. So that was probably one of the biggest things is just trying to go out to eat 
in or, or making a dinner or a breakfast that I'm like, this is like the, you know, biscuits and, you know, pancakes and bacon and eggs. And she's making fish and callaloo and all these fruits and stuff I've never heard of. That she's like, oh, my favorite fruit is breadfruit. And I'm like, breadfruit? Like, what, what even is that? You know, like, <laughs> so that was probably one of the biggest ones is that. Uh, and, and Patois, you know, uh, I still don't quite catch it all. I catch a lot more. I've always loved Jamaican music, but I just never knew what they were saying. My wife did let me know that a lot of the stuff I listened to, I shouldn't have been listening to because they were saying some stuff. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of differences. So probably the biggest one is uh, was that. And I think also like that British type culture. Yeah. You know, but it's yeah. A inter- it feels like an international marriage. Right. Okay. So let me, let me just kind of parlay off of the food there for a second. Because one of the things we talk about a lot is that you get the advantage of traveling uh, to different places, especially to the south yeah. in the United States. Ooh, and so yeah. then you get to do some things that you and I both have a, a great affection for, and that's barbecue. Yes. <laughs> so my question is, favorite the holy location grill. for barbecue and Ooh. why? Oh, okay, okay. It would be Memphis. Uh, yeah. I got to say Memphis. Like, Hallelujah. Uh, yes. <laughs> like... Uh, you know, uh, I lived in Texas for a couple of years, and I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, Texas peeps. Like the Texas barbecue was just not my favorite. It's like te- it's like a vinegary sauce. I like that sweet, sticky Memphis sort of thing, you know. Uh, and so, I mean, when I was in Texas, when I was in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, with Infinitus, I mean, we ate ourselves sick on barbecue, and I still wasn't done. Like I could have, I could have stayed there. And every place we went was amazing. So I mean. Pretty much in Memphis, asking anybody what's the best barbecue, and they gave us like two or three places, and every place we went had amazing barbecue. So I would say if you want some good barbecue, like go to Memphis. <laughs> All right, just a one-off here. It's not really about you. It's kind of about me, so it's self-serving. <laughs> so you always walking around with music. If you had to give me a theme song, what would it be? Oh, the Josh Bosch theme song. Yeah, you got one? Um, ooh, ooh, that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's a very good <laughs> I one. I stumped you. You did stump me. That's good. The because now all I can think of is that version of this old man that you played the other day <laughs> that I swore was you. <laughs> so so Josh puts up this video of him at church, uh, like a, a real cool video of him doing setup and stuff like that, you know, and it was a cool video he put. But he put this song on it, like this, I don't know, this funny version of this old man, but it sounded like you. Singing at first, I was like, "Like, when did he record this?" You know. Uh, okay, let's see. It would it would be um, it probably be country, even though now I've come. To- <laughs> I love you asked. Uh, now I know you don't listen to country hardly, uh, but I remember at your 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 new wedding, y'all played some song that made me musically go like, "I don't know if I know Josh musically." You were like, "This song means a lot to us," and it was like this song, Mark Cohn. It's not country, but that's okay. What is it? Mark Cohen's the guy that's saying uh, "Walking in Memphis." If we're talking about Memphis, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you never heard that song? Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain. Mm-mm. Really? Oh. Everybody on everybody that's listening to this podcast right now is like, "Are you serious?" Yeah. I know. No, okay, I got some listening to do. All right. Okay. Anyways, that's okay. Oh, that's a hard one. Okay, I'll I'll call, if I get it, I'll come we'll, back we'll to come it. Come back to it. Listen. Okay, I just threw that in there, folks, just to mess him up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's he, was, he was just firing through him like he knew all the answers, <laughs> so I just threw something at him. Okay, this is a two-parter to finish. Um, I know it could be touchy, but one of the things that I've, I've found most 
admirable, not just about you, but just something that I just really find myself attracted to, um, is this idea of adoption. Uh, mm. When I watch families adopt kids, um, my heart just, it, 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 it just goes out. It's like, um, because for me, there's no greater kind of biblical model of what God does with us than when we see these adoptions happen mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. within families. And so, you know, I, I, I don't want to tell your story for you, but, you know, I, you know when, you, when you got married, you know, there was a, there was a little boy involved yes. in that. And yeah, you became yeah. an adoptive father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to ask a two-part question. And first one would be, you know, what was the biggest challenge in being mm. an adoptive father? And then the second piece would be, what was like the biggest reward, this unexpected thing that caught you uh, in, 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 in that process? And folks, I just right. want you to know, John is an amazing father. It's, it's something that's been very inspirational to me. And that's why I want to ask him this question, because I figure this is something that's helpful mm. to people mm-hmm. who might even been thinking about adoption or, or those sorts of things. So a, a challenge that you've had in that space. Challenge, right. And then also just a, a, a reward, something that you'd say, I, I wouldn't trade this. I just can't imagine right all right um you know what um yeah like uh it it wasn't as challenging as sometimes these are now i mean i I don't know exactly what you're saying you're saying adoption in the sense of like bringing somebody into your life or just being a father without a lot of preparation you stepped into but there was no official adoption and but it was uh you talk about my son khalil and i call him my first child uh we don't do step i don't call him a stepson or anything like that uh uh my wife, Paula, had a son from a previous relationship. So when I got married, I had a wife and I also became a father of a 10-year-old boy. Uh, and and we connected, you know, right off the bat. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, I would say, you know, for, between me and him, there wasn't a challenge at the beginning with mm. the connection because it was like, I can either be his dad or not. And that sort of mm-hmm. felt like I don't know how to be a stepfather. And I think probably some of the... Um, some of the challenges at the beginning is that Khalil is loved by a lot of people. And, and, uh, and one of the biggest being his father's family, uh, and his father, you know, has been sort of in and out of his life, um, growing up, but, but not like an everyday part of his life. And so, um, navigating at the beginning, you know, like, uh, them being willing to make room for another person that loves Khalil was a bit tough. Uh, and and not having any connection to his family, like his paternal family, um, and actually, I think where the biggest inroads came because so at the beginning there had to be some conversations. Like people didn't like the fact that he called me dad, um, but I was being his dad, and that was his choice to call me dad. And I definitely wasn't going to fight that, and also wasn't going to make him feel wrong for calling me dad because. I'm sitting down every day with him, you know, having the conversations and doing the homework and paying the bills and, you know, like, uh, you know, just being a dad, like uh, <laughs> being in those spaces, disciplining, you know. Um, and so that was probably like at the beginning, you know, like talking to Paula, trying to navigate, you know, um, between families, like, um, you know, in, in, in that space. But Really cool things happen. One of the biggest ones being his paternal grandmother visiting us. And she's visited us a couple times. And she's an amazing woman. Uh, Miss Marie, you know. Uh, uh, our kids call her Auntie Grandma. Uh, <laughs> the younger sibling. So we've had four kids together. And they call her Auntie Grandma. And so there's been really great ways there. So that was the, f- the first part was the biggest challenge. What was the second? Uh, 
just a, a reward, maybe an unexpected reward, something yeah. that, you know, because I think part of this is what I was getting at is that you, you didn't, well, you became married and a father at the same time. Right. And so, you right. know, that had, there had to be some intimidation and you kind of alluded to that, how you connected on a level that right. there was the navigation of figuring out how I fit in as dad now. I wasn't sure I was mature enough to be a dad. That was probably my own only trepidation. Right. It was never like the idea, because it was God, I think, you know, I, I didn't have this idea like she's got baggage or it wasn't anything like that. And you know what, to be honest, I'll be totally 100, you know, on here, like if it had been not God, I might have thought that. I might have been even prideful to think that, you know, Despite all my lust issues, I've saved myself for marriage, you know, uh, and, you know, and then my wife has baggage. But it was never, never, never that thought. It was sort of like, like I was just felt like all of a sudden I was ready to be his dad. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think probably my immaturity helped at the beginning because we were really good play buddies, you know, like <laughs> as well. Um, but also, like, I, I did have to sort of where and I talk a little like the blessing that he's been in my life has been that like being a father has forced me to grow up in some areas. And it's, it's like really helped to fine tune, you know, uh, what it means to really live for somebody else. And to, um, it's, it's really easy to carry that over into our relationship with God. Like if it was just about me all the time and I don't have to like sacrifice for somebody else, then if God were to ask me, you know, uh, to do something for somebody else that doesn't seem to benefit me at all, but that's just good for somebody else. That's going to be very hard to do that because I'm not thinking about anybody else. But when you really are a parent and you really like, okay, it's what these kids need. And, I, and if I can't do it, I got to try to rise to it. You know, um, that was what Khalil was. He was the first person in my life to be that for me, you know, uh, and then came along Phoebe, Jasper, JC and Philip. The younger, the younger four. So that's probably the biggest blessing is that he, um, God used my relationship with Khalil and has used it to um, teach me to be a better person and to, to also get to experience him growing up and uh, and to be a part of his his uh, his life. It's been a real blessing. Awesome. Thanks, John. Oh, I got the theme song. These boots are made for walking. Yeah, it's not the right song. It's, it's the not, right one. It's not the right one. We'll talk about no, it in the next no, segment. No, 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 no. We'll talk about it in the next segment. I already have <laughs> These my These boots song, are made so. for walking, no, no. and that's just what I'll do because... <laughs> this is John's moment, so I'm going to let him say whatever he wants. But when we get to the next one, I'll tell you what my theme song is when we listen to... to then we talk about John. <laughs> What's up, listeners? I hope you're enjoying these last two episodes of the Sojourners podcast, where you get to know Josh and myself better. Uh, if you are curious and you want to know what baby John and baby Josh looked like, uh, visit our Instagram page, or better yet, like our Instagram page and join our Facebook pages, where we're going to post up pictures of uh, yeah, of we, what we looked like through life, and you can sort of put some pictures to the stories. You can find us at sojourners pod on instagram twitter and facebook if you want to follow me directly you can follow me at adi dom music uh, that's like all day i dream about music that's adi dom so put it together adi dom music and that is my instagram facebook and twitter you can also follow josh on instagram at pj's kingdom life 
and on Twitter at the real pastor PJ. So in this part of the segment of the podcast, uh, we typically uh, ask John to kind of give us, uh, you know, his musical response to what we've been talking about. In this case, since we've been talking about John, he's been the man of the hour, uh, it's more about him giving us a song that kind of represents who he is. And even in the last segment, I was talking about what my theme song is, and John totally got it wrong. Uh, I mean, if it's going to be a country song, it's got to be Live Like You Were Dying. Um, and for those of you who know that song, you'd be like, yeah, that's the song. So Live Like You Were Dying would be a country song for me. I could give you other secular songs. What's really cool about John is that he's taken the opportunity with the gifts that God has given him to write music that comes right from himself. So he's not asking someone else to represent who he is. He can do it through music on his own. So John, man, tell us, what is the John song? Oh, there are too many. John albums is probably more like it. Uh, you know, like I, I think, like, um, I'm a self-proclaimed caterpillar these days. You know, and that's where you see Caterpillar Chronicles always attached to me. Because this journey, you know, I'm, I'm uh, very, very closely approaching 40 years old. And um, it's, 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 I'm probably hitting marks that somebody might hit in their early 20s or late 20s in certain areas. And it's because it's all been growing up. It's not like I just took off musically. You know, it's like maturing spiritually, being a dad, like recording music, getting okay, putting that music out, touring. You know, just all these different areas, it takes longer to build all of that. So I say it's a caterpillar because a caterpillar, you know, uh, is on the ground. It feels every bump. It feels every... And I felt everything. I felt every bill, you know, that wasn't paid. I felt all the hardships. I felt every bit of insecurity. Um, I feel like I'm just on the ground, you know. Like, but I'm moving, so it's not a complaint. It's just I'm not flying. <laughs> and so uh, that's where you see Caterpillar Chronicles. It's sort of these stories of being on, on the ground. Um, check that out if you haven't gotten it already. It's uh, and and all the music is actually me. It's just beatboxing, violin, rapping, singing. But there's no special effects, just so that it all, you get that there's this music rolling around in my head and this is what it sounds like. So the song that uh, I think right now seems to really fit and even like kind of scrolling through my life in a very unorganized sort of way, (laughs) but just sort of piecing it all together uh, would be a song called Caterpillar. And um, the, the chorus says, I've slinked, I've slogged, crawled in the dirt, I'm not looking for no handouts because I've been putting in my work, but I've crawled through the valley and I've got grass stains on my shirt and I may not look like a diamond, but I think I know my worth. You know, I'm never really related to a butterfly because I'm not flying, I'm on the ground. I'm not the butterfly, I'm the caterpillar. I've slinked, I've slogged, I've crawled in the dirt. I ain't looking for no handouts. I'm putting in my work. I've been crawling through valleys and I got grass stains on my shirt. I may not look like a diamond, but I think I know my worth. Yeah. Crawl, crawl, 
faith to know if God says I'm the head and not the tail, then I know very well that even if my record don't sell, I'm gonna make it. Call me Zach Morris, cause I'm saved by the bell. Saved by grace, I'ma seek his face and not his hand. I won't disgrace, I'ma stick with the band. Even if that means I'ma crawl through the mud on my belly like a slug. If God says so, I'ma crawl through the mud obedient. Even if I have to tug four trucks on my back. Decepticons on attack. Call me Optimus Prime, I was built for that. Transformer, more than meets the eye. Informer, spit fire through snow. I'm a warrior for Jehovah. I'm a beastie boy, I'm greasy boy. I'ma be hitting up Word of God tastes good in my mouth Like M&M's Now I treat demons like my vanilla ice Be straight chilling on Used to be trilling on Cypress Hill Insane in the membrane Building hope off shamrocks Ancient ain't a gains Living in the house of pain Numb to the world like Novocaine now I'm sitting sideways on the dock with Paul Wee's fishing mine. Hey, I ain't never been afraid of putting work. From the job to the home all the way to the church. Call me Caterpillar, cause I'm fuzzy wuzzy, but I know my words. And inch by inch by inch, I'm a circle earth, yeah. I'm a circle earth, roll up my sleeves, reaching deep in the dirt Cause I know some cats buried deep in they hurts And I know some dead folks in the world and in the church They don't never smile, look like they drive a hearse But I know a man that specializes in rebirth So move back, Reaper, cause we talking life And I ain't got no time to rehearse I sleep slow, in the dirty I ain't looking for no handouts Cause I Through the valley And I may not look like a diamond But I think I know my worth Hey, oh, hey, hey Oh, hey Through the valley I Won't stop, keep running through the mud, through the dark Like I like ascending to the heavens cause I can't stop moving I might be tired but my spirit is wise Through the fires, of the storms, through the rain, through the pain Cause I won't be losing Touch with the most high cause I come a long way since the M.I. But why must I let my spirit get all clouded and doubted When I know that I'm about it, so I'm not gonna doubt it Shout out to the world that your boys bought about About the Lord's business and I know I Gotta seize like so it won't seize me and freeze me Move me back like I was greasy, appease me not Cause I know it's not that easy Gotta seize life so it won't seize me and freeze me Move me back like I was greasy Appease me not, because I know it's not that easy.